there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. Amen. So I want to pick up from where I left last time. That is two weeks ago. We've been looking at strategies for gathering the lost sheep. And I want to encourage us to go back to Biazo, to go back to Anakazo, to go back to outreach. Tell your neighbor we must go back and do outreach. Now that you have received the fire from the conference, make use of that fire. Amen. Hey, you're not very quiet this morning. I say make use of that fire. So Saturday, we are going back. Thursday, we are going back. Tuesday, we are going back. Wednesday, we are going back. Monday, we are going back. Sunday, we are going back. We want to reach out to as many souls as possible. Strategies for gathering the lost sheep which we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, that Jesus looked at the multitude and he saw. There is something that he saw. He saw people who were broken. He saw people who were scattered. He saw people who were tired. And <clears throat> the second thing, the first thing that we looked at was the increase of laborers. The second thing was the proper perception of the harvest. What Jesus saw is what we should see when we look at the world. And I remember challenging you to do anakazo, to do biazo, to use force, to be in their face, and I dare to compel people to be able to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we looked at why we must have a proper perspective on souls. Number one is to see Jesus as, to see as Jesus sees, and that's what we looked at, to see as Jesus sees. When Jesus looked at these people, he saw broken people. So, I want to give you number two. Number two is to understand the value of a soul. To understand the value of a soul. Why we must have a proper perspective on souls is for us to understand the value of souls. The world is full of valuable items. The world is full of valuable things. We have diamonds, we have gold, we have precious stones, we have murals. Murals are artifacts or paintings. The world is full of many, many precious and va valuable items. The other day I was just seeing on, on social media a man who was wearing a watch worth a million dollars. That is just a watch worth a million dollars. That is how much Kenyan shillings in Kenyan shillings. That's 140 million shillings. That's money enough to finish the sanctuary. Whoever you are as you're watching, sell that watch. And send the money to City of Transformation. We build the house of God. So I was just imagining, if you can wear a watch worth 140 million shillings, how about the house he stays in? How about the shoe? How about the car that is driving? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I saw another one driving a car worth $19 million. $19 million. How much is that in Kenyan shillings? This church doesn't have an accountant. How much is that? $19 million. Huh? $19 million. This side is very quiet. You don't do mathematics. It's $2.6 billion Kenyan shillings. That's a car. You're driving a car worth 2.6 
billion shillings. I'm telling you. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, neighbor, my, my, my clothes. Tell them their value. Yeah, why are people laughing? <laughs> Some of you are telling your neighbors, I'm just humble, but. So you can see we have a lot of very valuable things in the world that we live in. But you need to understand that the entire wealth in the world put together, the entire wealth in the world put together cannot supersede the value of one soul. One soul is far more valuable than the entire world's riches put together. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. I show you something here very powerful. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. Matthew 16 verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, all the riches in the world, the diamonds, the gold, you know, the precious stones, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing in this world that you can give in exchange of your soul. That's why you could see that God himself had to die to redeem man. Because animals could not redeem man. Blood could not redeem man. All the sacrifices that were being made in the tabernacle using earthly items could not redeem man. It shows how valuable your soul is. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the entire world and loses his own soul? If you gain all the treasures of the world and lose your soul, you, you have still lost. Because your soul is valuable. It's more valuable than the entire you know, riches that we have in the world today. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You cannot exchange your soul with gold. That's why as a woman, when you sell your body for money, you have really degraded yourself. When you sell your body, you know, for a plate of chips, for a trip to Naivasha, to only sleep in a five-star hotel, you sell your body. You have cheapened yourself for KFC. Chips. Not even chips. Potatoes. And you've really cheapened your life. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is far more, is far more precious than all these earthly valuable items that we crave for in our lives. Amen. So when we start seeing that, it will cause us to go for every person around us who is perishing in sin. We will see their value. You will see that your colleagues that you're working with who come to, to work on Monday morning and they are, uh, they are struggling with Monday blues. They are struggling with hangovers. You will see the value of their soul. And try and reach out to them and talk to them about Christ so that they may not be lost. Amen. So the value of a soul supersedes the value of what, of what is considered valuable in the world today. And, and, and this perspective should trigger each and every one of us to become evangelists. 
It should make you reach out to your neighbors, reach out to your colleagues, reach out to your friends, reach out to your, uh, your family members, reach out to anybody that you are in contact with because you can see that their soul is very, very valuable. The soul of a sinner is more valuable than the car you drive. The soul of a sinner is more valuable than the house you live in. You know you can't say amen. Because you think your house is more valuable. But it's not like that. You, the, the soul of somebody who is perishing and going to hell is more valuable than the money you have in the bank. And that's why we must be azo. We must an idea. We must do an akazo. We must do evangelism. Because these precious souls are being lost right under our noses. In Luke chapter 15, is a parable, is a story of parables, and these are parables of lost things. Take time and read the entire chapter. Luke chapter 15 is the parable of lost things. Now we have the parable of the lost sheep. A farmer had a hundred sheep, and when he lost one, and he discovered that this is a very important sheep, he left the 99 to go and fetch the one that is lost. Because losing one is far too many. That's why he leaves the 99 which are safe to go and try and get this one sheep. And he finds it and he brings it back to the fold. It's because the farmer recognizes the value of one lost sheep. Secondly, we have the parable of the lost coin. It's about a woman who had silver, 10 silver coins. And she lost one and she lit a lamp, swept the entire house. Turned the sofa sets upside down. Went to the crevices, hidden corners in the house. If you really want to know how dirty your house is, do thorough cleaning. Move the seat. Move the bed. Move that carton that is next to your door. You'll be surprised that cockroaches are living there with you. True or not true? So she searched the entire house. Turned the entire house upside down until she found that coin that was lost. In fact, the Bible says she searched carefully. She went to every corner, every place until she found that one coin. Then we have the parable of the prodigal son, which is a famous story in the Bible. The prodigal son asked for his inheritance and left his father and went to a far country. And he wasted what the father had given him. With riotous living, he chopped the money with women. Women can, slim, can smell money in your pocket, isn't it? They can, they, can, they can sniff money in your pocket even if you are 10 miles away. They have a gift of smelling money. True or not true? Hmm? That's why if you, want, if you want to really, really, you know... Uh, as a young man, if you want to get married quickly, just get a lot of money. Yeah, you will not convince, you will not do a lot of convincing. That is a quiet, but I'm saying the truth. Yeah, women do not want to marry a broke man. Because already they have problems. So by marrying you, they are adding another problem into their lives. It's the truth. Yeah, it's the truth about life. All these ladies will tell you one of the things that is really close to their heart is financial security. Yeah. You, you think a woman is looking for a handsome, very romantic guy. Wrong. They even say money will make them look good. 
The face we can work with. We can work on the face later. How is your wallet? And so all these women gravitated towards this prodigal son. And he wasted all his wealth. Wasted the monies. And when he was broke, went and joined himself to the citizen of that country who gave him a job to feed the swines. And he was eating what he was feeding the pigs with. Then one day he came to his senses and he said, I'm going back home. When I look at my father's servants, they are living very well. They are being taken care of. And he decided to go back home. And when he went back home, look at the father. The father demonstrates how precious his soul is by going towards him. The guy was dirty, he was smelly, he was stinking. But the father saw the soul of his son and it was still precious in his sight. He went after him, he hugged him, he kissed him, he embraced him, brought him to the house, you know, uh, changed his clothes, gave him some new shoes, put a ring on his finger and, you know, threw a party for him. Not because what he did was right, but because his soul is precious. That's why, you know, he was saying, my, your he was talking to the elder brother, saying, your brother, your brother was lost, now he's found. He was lost, now he's found. So this chapter shows us the importance of a soul. And that is how God sees souls. And we should have that kind of perspective when we look at people around us. That they are very precious in the sight of God. Look at your neighbor and tell them you are very precious in the sight of God. Everybody here is very precious in the sight of God. These three parables, the common thread that runs you know, in these three parables is the value of what is lost. When the sheep was lost, the farmer went after it. When the coin was lost, the woman searched diligently until she found it. When the prodigal son was lost and he came back, the father embraced him. So we must see souls the way God sees souls so that we may understand the value of each soul around us. Amen. It should break your heart when you hear somebody has died and he was not born again because that is a soul that is lost. It should break your heart. It should make you sad. It should break your heart when you see people around you don't know Jesus. Don't go to church. Don't serve God. It should break your heart. And you should do everything within your power to try and reach out to them. Preach to them. Talk to them about Christ. Because their soul is precious in the sight of God. Amen. And because it is precious in the sight of God, it should be precious in your sight as well. Hallelujah. Your colleagues at work are precious. They are, they are valuable before God. Your friends are valuable. They are, they are, their value is precious before God. Your family members who are not born again, let me tell you, they are precious in the sight of God. And so for us to be able to do anakazo or biazo, we must understand the value of one soul. We must be like this farmer who went after that sheep that was lost. We must be like this woman who searched the entire house to find that one coin that was lost. We must be like the father who was willing to embrace the son who came back home. That should be our disposition when we look at the people who are around us. Amen. Amen. Can I add and say, even your ex, his soul is precious in the sight of God. I know you hate your ex, but his or her soul is precious in the sight of God. Amen. Can I hear an amen? 
you know, I was, I was, I just have a crazy idea that just went through my mind. I was thinking maybe we should do a service of inviting our ex to the church. Okay, your response has answered me. I will not do it. <laughs> I had somebody say, Sasa <laughs> Number three. What was number one? To see as Jesus sees. Number two, to understand the value of a soul. Number three is to understand Jesus' mission on earth. The reason why we must have the right perspective is so that we may, we may understand what Jesus came to do on earth. Without a proper perspective on Christ's mission on earth, we have no motivation to seek the lost. I need to say that again. Without a proper perspective on Christ's mission on earth, we have no motivation to seek the lost. It is the right perspective on Christ's mission that is a catalyst for evangelism. When we have the right perspective to understand why Jesus came to the face of the earth. Why Jesus was born. Why Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. If we have that perspective and we can see the mission that Jesus came to accomplish, uh, to accomplish here on earth, it will make us become evangelists. It will make us go out for evangelism because we understand that we are, an, we are an extension of what Jesus started while he was here on earth. We must ask ourselves this question. Why did Jesus come to the world? Now the Pharisees thought he came to destroy their church buildings. That's why they were protecting, they were protecting their church buildings or the synagogues. Herod thought he wanted to be in politics. That's why he even wanted him dead because he perceived Jesus as a political rival. The Jews even wanted to install him as the king because they were tired of the Roman rule. The Romans were ruthless when they were ruling in those days. And the Jews knew Jesus has come to deliver us from the Roman rulership. Some thought he came to give them food. That's why they followed him because of fish and bread. One time they met Jesus and they told Jesus, Jesus, we've been looking for you. Where have you been? And the Bible says they were looking for him because of the fish and the bread they ate. They discovered that Jesus has given them an easier way to eat. So that they don't have to work and eat. Everybody will want such a person, isn't it? Can you imagine when you are hungry, you just call somebody and say, perform a miracle. I want, I want, I want, I want pizza. They perform a miracle, you eat pizza. Then you say, okay, I feel like I need to eat uh, a burger. Then the guy say, in the name of Jesus, burger, come down. The burger comes down. Wow. Father, give me that anointing. I think my church will grow very fast. After every service, I perform food miracles. <laughs> you lead, isn't it? There will be motivation to come to church. So they followed Jesus because of the food. Some just followed him because of how he was able to fill their bellies. Others, like his disciples, thought he would restore the kingdom back to Israel. And up to now, there are many people who don't understand why Jesus came to the world. 
There are many people around us who don't understand why Jesus had to die on the cross to save us from our sins. There are many people who are oblivious of the work of the cross. In fact, they just think Jesus is like any other person who came and left. They equate Jesus with some of these people who have left uh, some marks in history. People like Vasco da Gama. They try and put Jesus in the same category with Vasco da Gama. They try and put Jesus in the same category with Karl Marx. I don't know if you guys know who Karl Marx is. They try and put Jesus in the same category uh, with some of these great men who have graced history. But they don't understand that Jesus came so that we may be saved. They don't understand that Jesus came so that our sins may be forgiven. They don't understand that Jesus came so that the shackles of sin may be broken off our lives. We may become free to be able to serve God. And that's why it's important for you to have the right perspective on Christ's mission on earth. When you have the right perspective on Christ's mission on earth, it will trigger the desire and the passion in you to go out for evangelism. Because you will know I'm continuing what Jesus started I am doing what Jesus started. And when he left, he handed over the baton to me so that I may go out and bring as many as I can into the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. We want to look at what the Bible says here about the mission of Christ. The Bible says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is why he came. That is why he left heaven. He came that he may seek and save that which he's lost. I'm preaching to people who have been saved. They were lost, but now they are saved. I'm preaching to people who had lost hope, but now they have hope. I'm speaking to people who are broken, despised, who are living in shame, but now they have dignity because of Jesus Christ. They have honor because of Jesus Christ. So he came so that he may seek. And then after seeking, he may save that which is lost. So when we understand why Jesus came, we, sh we should also go out to seek those who are lost and to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When we understand his mission, I'm telling you, we will not sit pretty in our houses and enjoy ourselves. You know, watching programs on TV and enjoying music in the background. We will ask ourselves, what did Jesus come to do? And now that he has gone back to the heaven, what does he expect from us? He expects us to be saviors of men. He expects you and I to be uh, saviors of men. We have to go out, seek people, and bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, the Bible says, and he said to them, go into all the world. Jesus giving his disciples a commission. He says, uh, a great commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So it's incumbent upon us to continue with the mission of Christ here on earth. We must seek the lost. We must bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we are going out. That's why we are passing you know, flyers left, right, and center. That's why we are knocking on doors. That's why we are talking to our colleagues. That's why we are putting people in buses and in our cars to bring them to church. We are continuing with what Christ started when he came here on earth. So look at your neighbor and tell them, don't sabotage the mission of Christ here on earth. Because some of us, when Jesus looks at you, he feels sorry for you. Because you're not doing anything for him. 
You are not bringing anybody to Christ. You are not witnessing to anyone. You are not doing biazo. You are not doing anakazo. You are not talking to somebody about Jesus Christ. Your breath is not used for evangelism. Your gift is not used for evangelism. Your time and your talent is not being used for evangelism. Your resources are not being used for evangelism. It's time for you to wake up and realize that Christ came to begin something that you and I must finish. Can I hear an amen in this house? Yes, you and I must finish. You see, the Bible says that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. The end has not come because believers are not preaching the gospel. There are communities that have not been reached with the gospel. There are places that people have never heard who Jesus is. In fact, there are places where Coca-Cola is more famous than Jesus Christ. People know Coca-Cola, but they don't know Jesus. It is time for us to wake up. Jesus has handed over the baton to us. This thing is a relay. It is how you run that determines how the next generation is going to be. It is time for us to run well. To run this rest well. To complete the mission that Jesus left to us to complete. Can I hear an amen in this house? Give somebody a high five and tell them we have to wake up and do something. Oh yes, we have to do something. We have to evangelize. We have to tra traverse our country. We have to traverse our neighborhood. We have to knock on every door. We have to talk to our friends. We have to talk to our colleagues. We have a mission and this mission has to be fulfilled. We have an assignment and this assignment has to be fulfilled. When you have a proper perspective on what Jesus came to do, let me tell you, it will make you an evangelist. So may your eyes be changed. May your spectacles be changed. May your perception be adjusted. Hallelujah. So that you may see Christ's mission here on earth. Praise the Lord. Number four. Why must we have a proper perspective? Number four. Is to understand the reaction in heaven when salvation occurs. To understand the reaction in heaven when salvation occurs. The world is almost 8 plus billion people. And all these people look very different and subscribe to different things. We have many, many people in the world. That's why I want to encourage you to travel. Because some of you don't travel. You know, one time I was in a function... And a lady was speaking. And that lady, she was giving a story of her sister who had fallen in love with another guy. And that lady was raised in a village. And when he saw this guy, she was raised in a village and everybody in that village was brown. When she saw this guy, the guy was so black. She was very affected and she started feeling sorry for the sister. She was wondering, you mean we have black people? Because all she saw was brown people where she was. And she was really, really affected. But later on, she came to discover he's a good man. The world is full of many people. Brown people, white people, yellow people, blue, navy blue. It's full of many, many people. But because some of us, we don't travel, we think everybody is a kikuyu. Because you don't travel, you think everybody is a luo. You think everybody is a karma. You think everybody is a lawyer. Because you don't travel. There are people who don't travel. That's why I encourage you to travel. I pray that you will travel. 
In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I pray that you travel in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So you meet many people. The world is full of so many people. I'm telling you, so many people. When I went to Turkey, I saw a different breed of people. Different breed of people in Turkey. I went to Israel, I saw a different breed of people. Went to Tanzania, I saw a different breed of people. Went to Uganda, a different breed of people. I went to South Africa, I saw a different breed, you know, of, of, of people. Amen? Especially South African women are very different from Kenyan women. I will not explain to you what I saw. <laughs> I went to Eswatini. I saw a different breed of people. In Eswatini, you know the king marries very young girls. They have what you call reed, reed dance. Where all these ladies are picked from different you know, villages, cities and towns. And they are brought to a ceremony and the king is there. And they must be 18 years old. So some of you, please, remove it from your bucket list. It's not happening. 18, they have to be young. And they come and dance before the king. And as they are dancing, the upper part is exposed. Yeah, you can see everything. Yeah, and the lower part also is not properly covered. You can see almost nothing. Different types of people. And when I was walking on the streets in Eswatini, I could see different types of people. I could see women. I could see young girls. And I could hear the talk. Yes, I could hear the talk on the ground about women there, about the king. I went to Ghana. I saw different types of people. I went to America. I remember one time we were in George Bush International Airport. You'll be there in the name of Jesus. And we are at the airport. We went to the airport early. Because I've had the experiences of being almost left by the plane. The plane will never wait for you. So we went early. Two hours we were there. Even the counter had not been open. And we sat somewhere, Pastor Mary and I. And I was seeing people walking. Going to terminals to take flights. Very different types of people. I saw Japanese. I saw Chinese. You know, and even, you know, in the, in the cluster of Chinese, they are also different. Yeah, the way this eye looks, it's also different. I saw white people. And then I realized also white people are not the same. Some people are almost red, but they are white. Almost red, but they are white. Some are brown, some are colored. You know, even the nose is very different. Yeah, some of them, the nose is very sharp. Some of them is sharp a bit, and then at the edge, it's, it's tilted. You know, I saw, <laughs> I was looking at those noses as they are passing noses, until I started touching mine, wondering, why is, why is mine not long? It, I felt like mine was chopped prematurely. <laughs> Different types of people all over the world. That's why you should try. It expands your view. You realize that the world is big. It's bigger than your world. And I was asking myself, all these people, I remember when I was in Turkey, I was asking myself, all these people, do they know Jesus? How many churches are here? 
All these people, in fact, in Turkey, when we went there, it was winter, it was cold, my friend. Very cold. I remember we went on the street because we were being taken around. We even went to Sofia. Do you know what Sofia is? Some of you don't know what Sofia is. Sofia is a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a big mosque in, in, in Turkey. And that mosque used to be a church. Then the church went down. Then Muslims bought it. Yeah, now it has been turned into a mosque. It has become a tourist attraction in Turkey. It's one of the places that we visit. I even went in. Man, it was built. It is beautiful. I wish it can go back to the church. And when we were on the street, it was so cold. We wore our jackets. We, wore our, we, we were wearing our winter jackets. But it was still cold. You could feel the cold penetrating the jacket to get to your skin. And as I was walking on the street, almost everybody was smoking. Women were smoking. Hey! It's like a smoking nation. Everybody was smoking. So I asked, why are all these people smoking? He said, they are trying to keep warm. Because it was very cold. I tried to touch the tip of my nose. I couldn't feel it. That's how cold it was. All these are people in the world. Yet you, you think it's only your tribe that is in the world. Tell your neighbor, that is myopic kind of thinking. <laughs> so the world is full of people. But the question is, are they going to hell? Or are they going to heaven? Even in this country, we have so many types of people. We have more than 43 tribes in this country. Question is, are they going to heaven? Or are they going to hell? Some are short, some are dark, some are plump, some are thin, some are slender. Are they going to heaven? Or are they going to hell? You need to know that it only takes one soul. Somebody say one soul. Shout it again, one soul. Shout it louder, one soul. It only takes one soul to trigger reaction in heaven. Out of the 8 billion people in the world, it only takes one soul to ignite a carnival mood in heaven. Heaven rejoices over the salvation of just one sinner. So we can make heaven, you know, explode in excitement when we bring one sinner to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can make heaven burst into song and dance because of one sinner that has come into the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 15. And verse 10, the Bible says, Luke chapter 15, verse 10, give me the scripture quickly, Luke chapter 15, and verse 10, the Bible says, likewise, I say to you, there is joy, there is joy, can we read together, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner, who does what? Who repents? Can you imagine if one sinner can make heaven rejoice, how about ten sinners? How about 20 sinners? How about 30 sinners? How about 100 sinners who turn to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Believers, if we don't do an akazo, heaven will be quiet. If we don't reach out to lost souls, heaven will be quiet. But if all of us get out, then we'll make heaven, oh, a noisy place. There will be singing and dancing every day in heaven. There will be celebrations in heaven. Can I hear an amen? Look at even the prodigal son when he came back home. What happened in the homestead? There was music. There was dancing. There was a party in the homestead because of the prodigal son coming back, uh, coming back to.
to his father. So when we reach out to many, many souls, there will be so much joy in heaven. God will be happy. The angels will be happy. The seraphims will be flying around in heaven happy. The cherubims will be flying around as much as they cry holy. They will also cry. We are, they will also cry in celebration. They will be dancing. They will be jumping. They will be celebrating. The Old Testament saints will be celebrating. All the 24 elders in heaven will be celebrating. There will be a carnival mood in heaven when each and every one of us reach out to our soul and bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ask your neighbor for me, when was the last time you made heaven rejoice? Some of us, when they open the books, when we get there, God will say, there was no single day you made us happy. There is no single day you caused us to celebrate because you brought somebody to Christ. I don't know how you will answer God. I don't know how God will deal with you when you realize that there is no single day you caused heaven to celebrate. It should be your aim. It should be your desire. It should be your vision to ensure that because of you, heaven will burst into celebratory, you know, parties and excitement because of you. Because of you, heaven, angels, God, Jesus, everybody that is in heaven will celebrate because you brought us all into the kingdom of God. Tell your neighbor, take the challenge. Number five. Why must we have a proper perspective on souls? Is for us to understand the outcome of one's life after death. It's to understand the outcome of one's life after death. You know, many people think that there is no life after death. Many people think when you are dead, you are dead. You become something. You are lost somewhere. You lose consciousness and you disappear in thin air. They think when you die, it is the end of you. They think that physical death is the end of your existence. But that is not true. When you look at the Bible, you realize that physical death is not the end of life. Physical death is simply a separation. The spirit has separated itself from the body. That's why we commit the body to the ground. Because the person who was living in that, past, uh, in that body rather has left. But it doesn't mean they have ceased to ex exist. They are existing but in another dimension of existence. So when you die, physical death, that's why they say mwili ya mwa marehemo mwenda zake it's because the owner of the body is not there. He has left. So a separation has taken place. The spirit has left the body. Yeah, when you are around somebody who is dying, you will sense like they are leaving the body. They are going. I've read stories of people who have had what we call near-death experiences. And they explain how they could see themselves lifting off their bodies how they are leaving their bodies. And they could see people crying over their bodies and they feel like telling them to stop because they are not dead. They are actually leaving their body and they are going and they are going and they are going and the body remains there. So what we mourn is the body, but the person is not there because it's the body that we are in touch with. It's the body that we touch. It's the body that we can speak to. What you see is not me, but what you hear is me. What I have is just a body. Amen. And that's why you can be given anybody. And whatever body God has given, you just receive it anyway. 
<laughs> are you understanding what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's why we have different types of bodies. Yeah, some of you look like Johnny Bravo. Have you seen Johnny Bravo? Huh? Some of you look like Pink Panther. Those are different bodies. Some of you look like Zakayo. Do you know Zakayo? The short man in the Bible. Please, not the other Zakayo people are talking about. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, I appreciate God for my body. I thank God for my body. Some of you are not talking to your neighbor. What is going on? Tell your neighbor, I appreciate God for my body. I thank God for my body. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I say you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are beautiful. You are handsome. You are good looking. You are attractive. Shout a louder yes in this house. Oh yes. That is what God gave you. Accept it. You can just do some improvements. And please do some improvements. Work on it. Amen. I say work on it. Don't be shapeless. When God put Adam in the garden, the garden was not looking nice. But God told him, work on the garden. Shape the garden. Do some pruning. Do some tilling. Primary tilling. Secondary tilling. Put some manure on that ground. So you need also to work on your body. Hallelujah. Don't just let things become wild in your body. Because some things can be very wild. Please, you're, you're, you're very quiet. You don't want me to preach today. Tell your neighbor, work on your body. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Work on it. Yes. Look good. When you dress and you walk around, you look good. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Make your hair. Paint your lips if you're a lady. Paint it. Look, if they allowed men, I could have painted mine. But it's not allowed. Look good. Shave your hair. Smell good. Don't smell like a damn sight. This side is very quiet. Is there a problem? Is there a problem here? Yeah. And you ladies, this excuse of babies, stop it. Oh, you know, when you give birth, so what? Even animals are giving birth and they are still in shape. Run. Lift something. Don't be a couch potato. God has given you a body. It is your responsibility to keep it, to shape it, to refine it, and to make it look good. Shout amen by force. So when you die, what happens is you leave the body and you go somewhere else. That's why we must have the right perspective on the soul. The soul does not die through physical death. I will show you when the soul dies, which is very, very scary. You understand what I'm saying? So after the body is separated from the spirit, the spirit has to go somewhere. Yes. The spirit has to go somewhere. But before that spirit goes, that spirit is in the body. What we can see, your hands, your eyes, your head, your skin, your nose, you know, your fingers, your hips, your legs, your toes. That's what we can see. But it's the spirit that is living in that body. 
Are we together, somebody? You know, there's a soap opera I watched some years ago. It's called El Cruelpo del Deseo. In English, second chance. A man called Salvador. He was old and he married a young woman. And before he could enjoy the woman, that's why you should marry when you are young. And you marry when you are old. You die and you leave the woman. Then somebody marries her again. You know when you marry young, at least when you are dying, you have enjoyed and squeezed all the juice. Even if somebody comes, he gets leftovers. Anyway, let's go back to the spirit. <laughs> you see, if you've lived with somebody for 45 years or 50 years and you die and you hear they have gotten married, you say, let them continue. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your neighbor, Pastor is saying the truth, by the way. But the guy he married when he was young, then he died. And when he died, he felt like he has not finished. What he wanted to finish with his wife. So he came back as a spirit and he entered into the body of another handsome young man somewhere in the village and the young man changed and came back and found the wife was dating somebody else and fought for that relationship fought that relationship until he won the wife back so one day when they were talking the wife looked at him and he said when you speak you sound like my husband but when I look at you, you are very different. And he told her, I am your husband. But I've come back because I realized we had unfinished. <laughs> Tell me, it only happens in movies. When you die, you're gone, my friend. <laughs> So do what you can now. When you go, it's over. You're not coming back. You're not even come back like a mosquito. Nothing. You're, you're dead. You're dead. You're gone. Anyway, when you die, the spirit leaves. But it goes somewhere. Amen. The body is committed to the ground. So, when someone is not born again, they die twice. It is the second death that is more deadly. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20. The Bible says, the soul that sins shall die. What kind of death is this? This is eternal separation from God. It doesn't mean that the soul will cease to exist. It simply means that the soul will be eternally separated from God. There is a place where that soul will go. And where the soul is, there are emotions, there are feelings, there is memory, there is the mind there, there are thoughts. You will remember some things. Where the soul is, you will always have a memory of your life. You will always feel something. So the soul will not be connected to God. It will be sent somewhere else. And that place is a terrible place. It's a place of torment. It's a place of pain. It's a place of regret. It's a place of no return. When you get to that place, there is no reverse gear. 
You see, your car has a reverse gear, but when you get to that place, there is no reverse gear. The moment you enter that place, the door is shut. And you have to contend with what is going to happen in that place for the rest of your life. A second death is more deadly. That's why before you die physically, before the separation takes place, you must be born again. You must know Jesus. You must serve Jesus. You must live for Jesus. You must follow Jesus. And we must understand what will happen to people when they die without Christ. When we understand that, it will make us become evangelists and will make sure that we, we help as many people as possible not to go to that place of torment. We will do everything within our power to save our children, to save our friends, to save our spouses, to save our colleagues so that they don't go to that place. Because that place, when you go there, it is too late. There is no point of return. Luke chapter 16, let me show you something here very powerful. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. It gives us the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16 verse 19. Give me the scripture quickly. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Keep going quickly, quickly, quickly. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of souls who was laid at his gate. Keep going quickly. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his souls. So it was that the beggar died and he was carried by the angels. Who is this beggar? Lazarus. When he died, he was carried by angels. Look at that escort. He's being escorted by angels. To where? To Abraham's bosom. Then the rich man also died and he was buried. There was no angelic escort for the rich man. Because he died as a sinner. Where did he end up? And being in torments, he went to hell. In heads, he was tormented. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. He saw in those days, hell and heaven was like in the same location. The Old Testament says it's like they used to go to Abraham's bosom because the sacrifice had not been made by Jesus Christ. And so he could see that in Abraham's bosom, there was Lazarus. And Lazarus was there resting. Verse 24. What happened? So you can see, both of them died, but it does not mean they ceased to exist. Oh, talk to me. The rich man was buried, but he entered into another dimension. So that means he was still conscious. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on him. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Even in that place, he still thinks he is the boss. And he's commanding Abraham to command Lazarus, who was a poor man in his house, to bring him water. Hey, pride is something else. That you have even moved to hell and you're still full of pride. Hey. I will say mercy. Then he cried and said, Abraham, send, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger. Just the tip, just the tip of his finger in water and just cool my tongue. The entire body was on fire and he was feeling the fire, but he just wanted, you know, a drop, a drop of water to cool his tongue. That is not a place you want to go. That is not even a place you want your friends to go. That is not the place you want even your colleagues to go. That is not a place you even want your ex to go. Eh? Or you want him to go there? Let him suffer. That is not the place you want even your worst enemy to go. 
a place where even water is not available. And not just water, a, a, a drip, a drip, a drip, not even a glass of water, a drip of water. He said, let him cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Verse 25. Let's keep going. Are we together? Tell your neighbor, I don't want to go there. And I don't want my friends to go there. And Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he's comforted and you are tormented. Verse 26. The Bible says, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to, here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Verse 27. In other words, it's impossible. It cannot work. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you will send him to my father's house. Then instead of coming to me, I am thinking of my brothers. You see, he can remember. He's dead and buried, but he can still remember that he has brothers. Where? On earth. Hey, you people, are you understanding what I'm preaching this morning? Because his soul is still alive. He has memory and his memory is intact. He knows that he has brothers on earth. He said, then just send him to go to my brothers. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I don't mind being here, but I don't want my brothers to come here. Look, ladies and gentlemen, it will be very painful for some of you to see that you're in heaven and your brothers are in hell. You're in heaven and your children are in hell. Or you're in heaven and your parents are in hell. It will be painful. I don't think you'll enjoy heaven knowing that your father is in torment in hell. I don't think you really enjoy heaven knowing that some of your colleagues and your friends are in hell and they are crying every day and there is no even a drop of water to cool their tongue. Not for a week, but forever. I don't think you will rest easy in heaven. This should provoke you to save as many people as you can, to reach out to as many people as you can, to seek as many people as you can, to bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because when they get to that place, it will be a place of torment. He's saying, say, send, send, send Lazarus to my brothers to preach to my brothers. Then look at the answers that, or the answer that Abraham gave him. Abraham said to him, they have Moses, they have preachers, they have pastors, they have prophets, they have Bishop Dr. D preaching to them every Sunday. Yes, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them because if they don't hear those prophets, even if you come from here to go and tell them, they will not believe. Look at verse 30. He said they have prophets. Let them hear them. Verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31. But he said to him, even if... But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. There is another place that people are going to. And that place is not a joke, my friend. It's not a joke. Tell your neighbor, we're not joking in this thing. It's not a joke. Some of you live as if you mean you will, you will live on earth forever. It, it is not a joke. It is serious. It is serious. The moment you leave this place, it is done. You cannot come back. You cannot say, oh, I've realized that hell is real. Oh, God, give me another chance. You cannot get that chance again. When you cross over to that place, it is over for you. When your friends cross over to the other side, it is over for them. 
When your family members cross over to the other side, it is over for them. When your children cross over to the other side, it is over for them. When your parents cross over to the other side, it is over. There is no, it is not a point. There is no point of return. You cannot come back if you find yourself in hell. That's your destiny. He said, my brothers, they need Jesus. My brothers, they need salvation. My brothers need somebody to go and tell them this thing is real. The way we preach and people laugh at us. We preach and people think we only want money from them. We preach and tell them there is a place called hell. And somebody says, no, you are scaring us. You are judging us. You don't want us to enjoy life. But I came to tell you this morning that this thing I'm telling you today, it is real. If you don't change your ways, if you don't follow Jesus, there is a place that is reserved for you. And when you get to that place, it will be too late for you. You live and send some demons in hell to come and talk to me. To go and intercede for you before God. Because you are a member of the church. And they will tell you it is impossible. It cannot work. Some of you will cry. You will be crying my name in hell. Say pastor save us. But your cries will never go anywhere. That's what I'm preaching to you today. That you may become serious with God. I'm preaching to you today. So that you may reach out to your friends. I'm preaching to you today. So that your heart may be stirred up. Don't raise up children who are going to hell. Raise up children who are going to heaven. So that we can have a wonderful reunion in heaven. You'll be there with your husband in heaven. You'll be there with your wife in heaven. You'll be there with your brothers and sisters in heaven. You'll be there with your children in heaven. Can I hear an amen in this house? The whole family will be in heaven. You will see your friends. You will see your brothers and sisters. You will see your neighbors. You will see your colleagues at the place of work. You will see the people that you have been living with here on earth. They have made it to heaven as well. What a joy that will be for you. Tell your neighbor, it is serious. Tell them again, it is serious. It's not a joke. It is serious. Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 to 15. Give me the scripture quickly. Then I saw a great white throne. One day we will stand before this throne. A great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was none, no, found no place for them. They stood before the throne. He, scary throne. They thought they will never face God. Now they find themselves before God. White throne of judgment. They try to hide. There is no place to hide. And John says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The dead, they died, but they never ceased existing. They were buried. There was a WhatsApp group to escort their remains to their rural area to be buried, but they never ceased to exist. I saw the dead, small and great, Marehemus and Hayatis, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books verse 13 the sea also gave up the dead there are people who died in the sea because of a plane crash and they were never found they will also show up what they didn't find is their body 
But they made a transition into another form of existence. Who are in it and death and heads delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Verse 14. That then death and heads were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Some of you don't understand what a lake is. A lake is bigger than a river. If they throw you in a lake, you're likely to die. And can you imagine being thrown in a lake that is full of fire? Not full of water. Full of fire. Even if you try to swim, you're burning. Even if you try to balance yourself and float, you're burning. You do backstroke, you're burning. You dive, you're burning. You try and come out, you're, dive, you're burning. No matter what you do, you're burning. I don't think that is where you want your colleagues to go. I don't think that's where you want your friends to go to. I don't think that's where you want your children to go to, to the lake of fire. Anyone not found, I pray that your name may be found. Anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. My question is, is the, is the name of your husband in that book? Is the name of your wife in that book? Is the name of your children in that book? Is the name of your neighbor in that book? Is the name of your colleague in that group, in that book? Because one day that book will be opened. And if their names are not there, you know their destiny. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Last scripture, then we pray. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I hope your book is there. Your name is in that book. The Bible says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God. That is our aim. We want to please God. I pray that that will be your aim as well, to please God, so that we may not end up in this place. It's a terrible place. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Look at verse 10. Then he says, verse 10, for we must all appear. Tell your neighbor, you will appear one day before. Yeah, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body. There are things you are doing in your body. Let me tell you, there is a record. There's a record in heaven. You are thinking nobody sees you. You are thinking you are hiding. You are thinking you have switched off the lights and you have drawn the curtains and you have covered yourself in the biggest duvet in the world. And you are thinking nobody is seeing, but God is seeing everything you are doing. You are thinking that you can travel out of town so that you go and sin somewhere else and nobody sees. God sees everything that you do. You are thinking that you can steal and manipulate things at the place of work and nobody is seeing, but I want you to know that God is seeing. And one day we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. What are you doing in the body? One day we shall stand before God. Some of you will even tell God, ask my pastor, he knows me. Even me, I'll be defending myself where I am. That day, it will be everybody for himself. Everything you've done in body, 
That's why you have to take care of yourself. You have to protect yourself. You have to be disciplined as an individual. Everything you do in your body, God sees. God sees your fornication. Nobody sees it, but God sees it. God sees your adultery. Your wife doesn't know. Your husband doesn't know. But God sees it. He's getting quiet in here. Very quiet. Very, very quiet. God is seeing how you are sodomizing boys. He is seeing. You think nobody is seeing, but God is seeing. God is seeing the masturbation that you engaged in. Alone in the room. Yes. God is seeing. God is seeing all the toys you have bought for sexual pleasure. And now you are screaming alone in that room. God is seeing. You think nobody is seeing, but God is seeing. God is seeing the pornography that you are watching. He is seeing it. Oh yes. Oh yes. He is seeing it. God is seeing the homosexuality that you have involved yourself. He is seeing it. He is seeing it. You think nobody knows. You think nobody sees. You have even married to, come, to camouflage yourself so that people think that you are not a homosexual. But God sees. He knows what you do after you're done with your wife. He sees. Anything done in the body, God sees it. He sees it. And one day you will stand before God. And he will ask you, why? Why this? Why this? Why this? Why this? One day, all of us will appear before him. Your friends will appear before him. Whether good, look at what the Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done. Whether good. So there is the good part. Or bad. Next verse. Knowing therefore the terror. Ladies and gentlemen, terror is coming. That day, you will not see a lamb, you will see a lion. Now you can see the lamb because God is loving, he's forgiving, he's giving you a chance to change. He's giving you a chance to reach out to others and preach to them so that they may change. But when that day comes, you will see the terror of the Lord. You will see another face of God you've never seen before. The Bible says that he has eyes in his, he has fire in his eyes with a flaming sword in his hand. You will see another side of God that you've never seen before. And Paul says, knowing therefore the terror that is awaiting every sinner. He says, now what is our work? We persuade men. That's why I'm persuading you today. I'm preaching to you because I'm trying to persuade you. Terror is coming. And before it comes, you, you better be ready. Before it comes, I pray that you prepare yourself so that this terror may not befall you. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we are preaching. We persuade men. That's why we are going for Biazo. We persuade men. That's why we are doing Anakazo. We persuade men. But we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciousness. We are persuading you because we are telling you what we are living. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray that you will not be in church. And when that day comes, you will not be in heaven. You can be in church, but miss heaven. You can attend church and miss heaven. You can serve in church and miss heaven. You can come to church every Sunday and still miss heaven. Because when you appear before God, everything will be naked before him. We'll be asked questions like, why didn't you serve me? Why didn't you go for outreach? Why didn't you preach in my name? 
Why didn't you leave as a Christian? Why didn't you do what I told you to do? I don't know what you will answer. Many of us will be stammering. Because that day you can't even give an excuse. I don't know what you will say when God asks you those questions. You are full of materialism. You are full of selfishness. You are just thinking about yourself. You never did anything for me. You never went for outreach. The pastor preached about outreach. You dismissed the message. You said it is not you. You are waiting for the message of prosperity. And seven steps to a turnaround. God will say, I saw your attitude. You despised my servant. You despised my message. You despised what is very close to my heart. One day, all of us, we shall stand before him. My prayer is when you stand, your name will be in the book of life. My prayer is when you stand, you will not be thrown into the lake of fire. You will be told, good and faithful servant, enter ye into my rest. Ladies and gentlemen, when we have this picture of terror, the terror of the Lord, even as we leave this service, before you get home, you should talk to somebody about Jesus. Before you get to your house and remove your wig and remove your mascara, pull out your eyelashes and remove your fake nails and fake hips, you will say, let me go for outreach. Let me talk to somebody about Jesus. I need to be azo. I need to anakazo. I don't want anybody to go to this place. I don't want anybody to face the terror of the Lord. I don't want my children to face the terror of the Lord. Because that day it will be a terrible day. There will be no mercy. There will be no second chance. The moment you are directed to go the other way, you have to go. You can't, you can't cheat God that day. It will be too late to try and make amends. That's what I'm preaching to you today. I'm persuading you today. Don't be a victim of the terror of the Lord. And don't allow the people around you to be victims of the terror of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Stretch your hands to the Lord. I want you to pray for yourself. Pray to yourself right now. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. For not seeing like you see. For not seeing the terror that is coming. Have mercy on us. Some of us have not lived well, Lord. Forgive us. Some of us have compromised. Forgive us. Have mercy on us, Jesus. We don't want to be victims of the terror that is coming, oh Lord. May we be strong, may we be bold. May we go out and reach out to lost souls. May we change lives. May we be azo, may we anakazo. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Father, we shall persuade men. We shall convince men. We shall compel men to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We shall talk to our brothers. We shall talk to our sisters. We shall talk to our friends. Draw them into the kingdom of God. Everybody lift up your hand right now. Father, I pray for everyone here. We shall not be slothful in evangelism. And those who are struggling, 
Pray may they overcome their struggles. Those who are compromising, Father, you know them. Even if they don't come out, you know them, Lord. Even if they pretend as if everything is okay, you know them and they know everything is not okay. Some of them don't even have confidence that they can face you if they are to die today. Father, I pray that let this be a turning point in their lives. Let this be the day that they become serious to follow you and to live for you. Thank you, Father. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazutechero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.